Tell me about your tattoos. Let's see. I have a radish on my arm that I got tattooed years and years ago. And then I have the names of my wife and kids on my arm. And then I have something that I errantly got done when I was 16 years old on my other arm. And I have a couple other ones tucked away. But, yeah, nothing nothing overly important. I mean, I think that the radish was just the first thing that I sort of... My grandparents always fed me radish sandwiches. It was something that a lot of people didn't like. Um, but it was also something I grew successfully for the first time in, you know, way back in the day. So it's always meant a lot to me. It's kind of this spicy vegetable that gets maligned a lot, but is much more versatile than people think. Jeff Hugh Atchison grew up in Ottawa, Canada, but when he was a teenager, he lived in Atlanta for a time with his mother. He met a girl while he was in the South. They became pen pals, fell in love, and eventually got married. They later landed in Athens, Georgia, when his wife started graduate school at UGA. And that's where Hugh began to emerge as one of the most celebrated and influential chefs in the country. Today he has three restaurants in Athens, The National, Five and Ten, and Cinco Ideas. Empire State South is one of the most popular places to dine in Atlanta, and his new restaurant called The Florence is set to open in Savannah in May. Hugh is a two-time James Beard Award winner, once as a chef and once for his cookbook, A New Turn in the South. You may have seen him on television competing on Bravo's Top Chef Masters, or as a judge on the show Top Chef. When we met, Hugh had an orange spiral-bound notebook where he had been planning the menu for an upcoming event. So I want to do a course where it's um, I bone out a quail, and then uh, we use a little bit of Activa. Um, that's not me crying. Um, and black truffles, and roll that up so it um, seals. And then we're going to torque it, and the skin will be on the outside, so it'll caramelize the skin as you cook it after it's been sous vide cooked. So it's going to be cooked to a pretty low temperature, but just cooked, and then finished and uh, and finished out in a in a pan to really crisp the skin, and then present it. So then we'll carve it. So you know what I'm looking at is whether. So I've got this. Should I serve half of it um, for as a portion? Should I cut that? whole quail that's in this two form into four pieces and serve two for each person just serve the whole thing um you know what impediment is that cutting station going to be to assembly line plating of 250 plates you know you're looking to get through those 250 plates in 20 minutes from start to finish kind of at the most so you separate into two lines and you've got five people on each line and you're just running stuff down so the second element that would go on is uh, little Tokyo turnips that have been um, sliced to keep their green on for about five inches of the stem. Um, 
and lightly roasted so there's the green is still there and it's going to be very pronounced and sort of flourish cool piece on the plate and then the turnip greens are really really finely cut and folded into uh, Anson Mills oats the have been slow cooked like risotto um, so that's at the base of the plate then the roulade then the turnips and then a garnish way off to the side is a little pickled quail egg lying in a little bit of salt uh, that in the old way that you dip a pickled egg into salt and then um, a couple of dots of uh, gelatinized um, quail jus and then probably some aerated um, buttermilk on the plate so you know I mean food is food and you want to pull to some uh, I think a lot of chefs these days are doing very complex food that sometimes doesn't ever pull at heartstrings. But I think what we're evoking here still has something that's very um, inspired by rural America, by hunting quails. When you go say you're going to shoot birds in the south, you generally mean quail. Um, the turnips, having that you know basic vegetable that it's taken to a beautiful rendition of that vegetable, really simply done. The oats are kind of like a, you know, a, they're almost like a gruel at that point, but it's the fanciest gruel ever. And the pickled quail eggs. My dad has this crazy chicken machine that he bought out of a bar, and it uh, dispenses pickled eggs. And hurt so, so it's shaped like a chicken? It's shaped like a ro- roosting chicken, and it's huge. And you put 15 cents in, and, and it rolled out, and they were in the center and it would boil the eggs and then have a pickled egg section and it would, the egg would roll out. Very strange. Um, so I, th- I got to thinking about that. So, you know, I think it's a doable dish It's um, and it, it does pull up those heartstrings. So those overly complex dishes that a lot of chefs are doing these days, they're really cool, but they're disparate flavors. And you, I think you, it's really important to make sure that there's a unifying aspect of food that still makes sense to us. I still want to pull somebody, you know, arbitrarily in this square and go, does this make sense to you? It's, you know, poultry with turnips and essentially grits or something or a risotto. Um, does that make sense to you? And they'll all be like, yeah. So I think uh, it's important to make that sense. So and I, I think that, you know, everybody's like, do you do, you, do comfort food? I'm like, no. I mean, it's more complex than that usually. Um, it just has to have meaning. So I think that's important. I think that's how you sew yourself into the southern fabric um, of, of what we do. So. You've written a lot about southern food and, and your impressions, maybe even your definitions of southern food. What today? I have a feeling that it that, that I have a feeling that that evolves. So today, what? How do you? How do you see southern food? Um, how do you define southern food? Sometimes when you talk about definition, you're talking about having a, that beginning and the end, right? And I, I think that's that. I don't think that foods should ever have that beginning and the end. Nobody goes over to Japan and says, "Well, I want you to take a hundred years of your food history, and that's that's what you're going to identify as Japanese cooking." It's like that's so encumbering for no point. Japanese food has excelled and gotten more dynamic over the last 50 years. It'll continue to do so. There's a core idea of Japanese food that's kind of beautifully and timeless. 
So if we take that same equation on how to define a food culture, and that's one that's thousands of years old, and then we put it to one that's 200 years old as southern food. First of all, southern food isn't, wasn't created by um, white southerners. It was created by slaves and spice traders and white southerners all getting together and figuring out what was here. It was influenced by Native Americans. And so it's a very hodgepodge cuisine that spans a lot of area. So it's got a lot of different iterations. Um, and so the borders of it are really difficult to define on what, where, where is the morphing sort of, where's the Mason-Dixon line of Southern food? Um, so now I kind of define it as it's a reaction to what's around us. And it's a uh, way to use that um, bounty, uh, that hopeful agrarian bounty. It's had a lot of trouble identifying itself in the last 50 years because of basic poisoning of the food system with convenience foods and over-processed foods. And so it's a, a nod towards how the grandmothers of the South used to cook. It's a nod towards how the slaves used to cook. It's a nod to how the plantation owners even used to cook eat back in those days. And, and when they had that reverence for, southern, for true agrarian local foods, um, there's so many individual dishes that are t- typically southern. But, you know, this dish that we just talked through about what I'll do at this event, it's extraordinarily southern to me. But that's what southern food is to you. I mean, it's... Or, is congee on Buford Highway made with, you know, Carolina rice? Is that southern food? I think it is now. And so I think we need to broaden those parameters and not, you know, there's a lot of pointless kneeling at the altar of southern food. Don't, you know, don't mess with my biscuits and my collard grains. And I'm going to mess with your biscuits and your collard grains. And we're going to have fun doing it. And I think that's important with food. And it doesn't mean I don't have a reverence for them, but there's a difference. And I also have an irreverence, which is important too. Um, so it's, it's really difficult to define. When you look at food cultures, when you, I'm from Canada, and when you say, you know, what is Canadian food? Well, Canadian food lies really in a couple of dishes that emanate out of Quebec. Um, but Canada is the second largest country in the world geographically. They think the food they ate in Nunavut 50 years ago is going to be the same food they ate in Prince Edward Island? No. It's a totally different climate, totally different place. And it's really hard to define. It's very young. We are very young in North America. And we need to remember that. So until, you know, until we have 2,000 years of a food culture, I don't know if we can really define much at all. Um, but, I mean, southern food is definitely something worth um, documenting and saving and watching. But it doesn't mean that it ends. And I think it's important to clarify what southern food is not, and that's e- easier to do. Southern food is not Kentucky Fried Chicken and a, and a b- bucket of salty biscuits. That's not what Edna Lewis talked about. It's not what the Carolina Housewife talked about in old cookbooks that are really important to me. Um, you know, those were books were odes to blackberries and um, salsify and oyster root and... Um, foraged greens and local quail as much as they were about meatloaf, fried chicken, mashed potatoes, gravy, and, you know, the the things in our... 
in our landscape of southern food that have caused a lot of horrible medical issues in this country are not the true southern food. They're just convenience foods. They're foods that make us fat. Without the balance of the true bounty of the south, those little staples of southern food are not good for you. So the southern meal needs to be balanced with everything else that should be on those tables. And 50 years ago, it was always on those tables, and we forget about that. I don't know why we forget about it. Why we suddenly learn to love fast food so much. But, um, you know, and that salty biscuits and chicken, fried chicken meal that's not very good for you is just as popular in, you know, rural Montana as it is here. It's got, you know, the core recipes of it may have emanated from here once upon a time. But it's lost Southern identity when you lose everything else that was that you're failing to see was also on the table. Succotash and greens and blackberries and chow chow and all these different things um, and purlus and boiled shrimp and you know th- these things were really that they were part of that meal and that would have been a great meal. It would have been a huge caloric meal too. But these were people who were working in fields all day and. Uh, when this culture was being defined so they were burning those calories so if you sit at a desk 9 to 5 and eat that same meal and then go home and sit in front of the bloody TV for 4 hours you're going to be fat sorry (laughs) and you're going to probably contract type 2 diabetes and eventually your foot's going to have to be amputated have fun with that but um, you know it's we need to just learn about our food and our bodies and how we feed ourselves it's not southern food's fault. It's a food didn't do anything. <laughs> we just eat it. We are called the A list of arms we should find like a lion. Special thanks today to Chef Hugh Atchison. Follow him on Twitter or Instagram. The handle is at Hugh Atchison. I also want to thank Durham-based band Bombadil. Their song, Cavaliers Har Hum, opened and closed the show. On Twitter, they are at WeAreBombadil, or find more at bombadil.squarespace.com. For more episodes, photos, and videos, go to AuthenticSouth.com. You can also listen to us at WFAE.org and on iTunes, Public Radio Exchange, Stitcher, and SoundCloud. Until we go south again, thanks for listening.